You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. Every person is of sacred value and worth, deserving of God's grace. Whether it's people quarantined on a cruise ship, a woman in hospice care who has comorbid conditions, a homeless person living under a bridge is valuable and of sacred worth and deserving of God's grace. Someone hanging from a Roman cross, bleeding and suffering and dying, bone crushed, flesh ripped, has a family has reason to be. You see, all of us in God's sight, we're equal. We're His creations. We're His, His children. No matter where we're from, no matter what country we live in, no matter how much money we have or how much money we don't have, that person that's struggling, that person that's having a hard time putting food on the table, paying the bills, is loved by God just as much as you are who have food on the table more than enough toilet paper, plenty of hand sanitizer, heat and air conditioning, the freezer's full as it can be, over full. You'll never eat all those toasted strudels that you bought. And yet, would we recognize someone in need, even if it was our own loved one? Just think about that for a moment. Are we so busy and consumed with what we're doing that maybe we say, Well, next time, I'll help them. Next time, I'll give. Next time, I'll go to church. Next time, I'll sign up for the Bible study. Next time, I'll help this person. You know, I had an opportunity yesterday, and Lori Willis reminded me of this this story. This wasn't planned for the sermon today. We were in South Carolina for a family reunion, a fish fry, and boy, it was good. Greasy and fattening and all that. A lot of cholesterol, but still good. You could walk by where they were frying the fish and just smell the grease and your arteries would be like, you know. You could feel it right there in the carotid arteries closing up. But I'm thinking, this is good stuff. And we were hugging, kissing, everything was going on. That's South Carolina family for you in rural Greenwood. And so as we're heading back, getting ready to get on I-85, we stop at a hot spot gas station. And we pull in, and and Karen and FJ, they go into the store to get something to drink, and I'm filling her cart with gas. And there's a man, he's filling up with gas, and he's got this U-Haul truck. And he looks at me through the little crack there by the pump, and he says, Misty Creek. And I'm wearing my Misty Creek shirt, and Karen has the Misty Creek magnet on her car. He says, where's that? I said, well, it's in Sandy Springs, Georgia. Where's that? Is it close to Atlanta, near Roswell? Oh, yeah. He said, "That's, that's pretty cool. He said, you think they got any hand sanitizer by these pumps? I said, not at this gas station, no. He says, he said, I'm real worried about this thing, man. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, my, my wife and my daughter are at home, and they're both sick. And he says, and I'm moving my stepson and his family and children because they got to move today. they got to be out of their apartment today in their home. And he says, and I'm torn with what to do. I need to be with my wife and my daughter, but I also need to get my stepson moved in and his, his wife and his children because they don't really have anybody. And he said, I'm really stressed. And without even thinking about it, I said, may I pray for you? 
He said, really? I said, yeah. I said, man, I just, I'm just going to lay my hand out towards you and pray over you. His gas is pumping. My gas is pumping. And I'm just, I'm just praying over him out loud. And there are other people. They're watching right by us. Gas station's full of people. Gas is only $1.83. Let me tell you something. Okay? And I'm praying. Hot spot. Okay? Exit 76, I think. And I'm praying over, praying over this guy. And I finish praying over him. He says, thank you so much. And I go into the store, and I go to that thing. I come back out, and he's still there, and we're getting in the car. And he says, man, if your church was around here, I would be there tomorrow. He said, thank you so much. I said, God bless you. I said, I'm going to continue to pray for you, and I am. His name was Terry, if he's watching. I told him we were going Facebook Live. My name was Stephen Street. I didn't care about him knowing my full name because God knows my name, and God knows his name. And in that moment, I felt like it was okay. I share that story with you because... What was Jesus doing from the cross, this third word? Now, we've already heard him say two other words. You know, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. That was our our first resurrection word, resurrection story in this series. And then last week, it was to the criminal on the cross who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. But this next word is one of the most profound, I believe, that we hear Jesus say from the cross. As he's dying, as he's suffering, he sees his mother and his beloved disciple there at the cross. And he shows his care for his mother, for family, by saying, and you heard it read in the scripture today, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. Now, no mother should ever have to witness her son die, especially the horrific death of crucifixion. And yet that's what happens. And Jesus speaks these words to his his mother and the closest disciple. It's a scene that's both moving and it's filled with so much information for our lives. So in today's sermon, I want us to focus on something as we go through this epidemic our world is facing For such a time as this, we are to care for others like never before. There will be children at home that normally have a free lunch that won't have a lunch, okay? There will be parents who have to work. It's not that I need to, I have to, I got to, that won't be able to. Or they're going to have to put their kids in child care, but there's no child care. They're going to struggle through all that. There are going to be people that usually work in these big arenas and these, these, these big stores and restaurants that aren't going to be getting an income. The economy is going to take a hit. The stock market's taking a hit. People are worried about their retirement and their current investments, and people are stressed out. There's a lot of anxiety in our world right now, and yet Jesus reminds us from the cross, take care of each other. Take care of your family. Be together. Use this time to dwell on what you do have. And don't say, I'll do this the next time. I'll be within the next time. Here's your next time. The time that you've not been spending with your family, the time you've not been reading God's word, the time you've not been praying, the time you've not been exercising and taking care of yourself. Well, here's the time to do that. Here's your next time. It's present. And Jesus uses his time on the cross, the most horrible time you can imagine, the most pain you can imagine, despair you can imagine, and yet he cares about other people first and foremost. He's forgiven everybody. He's offering preemptive forgiveness. He's allowing a man that doesn't really even know him to inherit kingdom. The first church service was at Golgotha. 
And then he's making sure that his mother is cared for. While all the other disciples, we don't know where they are. They're not there. They're fearful of their lives. But there are those who decided to take a gamble, to take a chance, and they went. They showed up at the foot of that cross. And that's what we're going to talk about today. There are five things I want to talk to you about today. These are in your notes, and I'm going to go through them fast. I'm mindful of the time today. But I want to start with the role of women in ministry. Did you notice how our women were to you today? We've got some great men too. But did you notice they wanted to give you a squirt when you came in? We said better a squirt than a squeeze, okay? HR would get on things, okay? Do we even have HR? I don't think we do. Anyway, and so, you know, we wanted to make sure you were taken care of and that you were safe. Because honestly, if you're watching this today, some people are skeptical of us being together. But God calls us to be together and not to surrender to so much fear. And to know if you gather in my name, if you're worshiping and praising me, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to protect you. And what happens, happens. But remember, I've got a place reserved for you in the kingdom regardless. Because your likelihood of getting injured or hurt or killed is out there on that highway. Or some other kind of ailment. I'm real in touch with the folks in the clinical field. And I've been on the phone with some and been Zooming with some in my chaplain training. And they applauded us by gathering today. Just so you know. And so the role of women in Jesus' ministry. Now let's consider the fact that there were three women standing at the foot of the cross with Jesus as he suffered and died. John tells us that the, the mother of Mary was Jesus. okay, And then her sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Now, Jesus notes that he himself stood, and John notes, that he himself stood with these women. He was the lone disciple to be present, the only one there. Now, we know who Mary Magdalene is and Mary, the mother of Jesus, but who is Mary, the wife of Clopas? You can imagine having that name. My name's Clopas, okay? John describes Mary, the wife of Clopas, as the sister of Mary. I'm not going to bore you with this, but hold on. The early church noted that Mary's sister by marriage, as Clopas Clopas was the brother of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Now, Joseph most likely died when Jesus was around the age of 12 because that's the last time we hear about Joseph. It's also likely that Joseph's death um, meant that Clopas, you love that name, right, provided support for Joseph's wife, Mary, and her children. We don't know that for sure, but historically he probably did. Undoubtedly, Clophus's wife, Mary, was a close companion and friend to her sister-in-law, and she was the only other friend Mary had to stand with her that day. So this woman's important. And as we consider these three women in the midst of this hostile crowd, and can you imagine that crowd? Whoa. I'm struck by the role that these women are playing in his ministry. It was the women who financially supported the work of Jesus and the disciples. It was the woman who first became a missionary to the Samaritans. It was a woman who anointed Jesus with oil in preparation for his death. It was three women who had the courage to stand by Jesus for six hours as he died a gruesome death on the cross. It was a woman who first came to the tomb and found the tomb empty on Easter morning. It was a woman who first saw Christ raised from the dead and in turn a woman became the first to proclaim the resurrection to others. Now, Jesus and Paul, believe it or not, regularly showed compassion and mercy and love toward women who stood, at, who stood out as countercultural to the day because women and children really had no significance, no value in that time period. The cultural norm were that rabbis were the, were the teachers, okay? They were men. Both Jesus and Paul recognized the giftedness 
and the courage and the commitment of women in the early church. Thankfully, we live in a day and time when these cultural norms are no longer in place. Today, many of the most effective teachers and leaders in the church are women. Now, the second thing I want us to learn from Jesus' words from the cross today, Mary as the second Eve. Maybe you've never heard of that before. Mary as the second Eve. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is the most important human being to God's saving plans aside from Jesus himself. It was Mary who, when called to risk her life and give up all of her dreams, her teenage adolescent years, she was called to carry, deliver, and raise the Messiah. She replied, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. It was Mary, little teenage Mary, who carried the Son of God in her womb, and she nurtured God's word as it was becoming flesh. Let that sink in. Now, theologians of the church call her Theotokos, meaning God-bearer, since it was she who gave birth, listen to this, to God in flesh. Mary did that. So you don't think you have any value or sacred worth or you're too young or you're too old? Do you know in God's eyes, now listen to this, you are as valuable as Mary is. You have the same spirit that was with Mary the moment that she became the Theotokos, the God-bearer, the moment she conceived the Son of God in her womb. That spirit is the spirit that dwells and lives within you and will protect you no matter what the circumstance is. And that's what I want you to hear today out there in cyberspace, okay? This woman who stood by the cross seeking desperately to console and give hope to her dying son. She paid a great price for our salvation. I've on many occasions told my children that I would give my life for them without hesitating. And I'm sure Mary felt the same way about Jesus as she stood there that day. Let me take his place. Bring him down from there. That's my son. It, was only, it wasn't only Jesus who suffered for our salvation, but Mary too suffered. As she stood by those six hours watching her son die. Throughout the history of the Christian faith, Mary's been seen as that second Eve. Through the first Eve, Paradise Paradosus, we learned last week, was lost. But the gift born of Mary, the second Eve, Paradise, is restored. The paradise that Jesus speaks of when he tells the criminal on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, that's the paradise he's talking about. The third thing I want us to learn, I really want you to learn this, okay? We've got some young people in here this morning, some teenagers. Honor your father and mother. Perhaps the most common understanding of this passage is that even as he hung on the cross, dying in pain, Jesus was concerned for his mother. We live in a day and time, ladies and gentlemen, when many of our parents may not have adequately prepared for retirement or for their death. I hear time and time again baby boomers, those born between 1946 and 1964, who have had to pay for their parents' funerals, retirement home, etc. According to a recent survey of workers 55 and older, 36% had saved less than $25,000 for retirement. And as pensions disappear and Social Security benefits seem likely to decrease while medical costs increase, we need to reclaim the practice throughout most of humanity, caring for one another's parents as Jesus cared for his mother 
and he asked John to do. Caring for others, our parents, our family, that's important. I'm an only child, and since I left home, since I left college, well, when I went away to college, I left home. I've been gone ever since. I'm about seven to eight hours away from my parents. You know, it's tough being an only child and your parents being that far away and how to respond and, and what to do. And some of you are in that boat. Some of you are in the boat right now that you have aging parents that you, that you want to take care of. You want to make sure they're in the right place. And yet, you have to be careful because you also need to take care of yourself and your family. And maybe sometimes you feel a little stretched. How far should I go in taking care of my own parents? What's, what's my responsibility? And I would invite you to pray about that. I really would. Because even our own families, even our own parents, ladies and gentlemen, they can give us the guilt trip and take advantage of us. We have to be careful with that. We have to be responsible and pray intently about how do we respond to our parents, to our kids when they're older, when they're old enough to do their own thing, and now they're asking of us, how do we care for them? We make sure first and foremost that they have plenty to eat, that they have a roof over their head, and that their health is taken care of. That is our responsibility for our aging parents and for our kids. Some would disagree with me on that, but that's just me personally. I'm called to care for people. I'm called to care for you in this church, and if there's anybody in here, anybody outside of those walls that's lacking food or struggling or under a bridge somewhere, I'm called not to wait to the next time. I'll help them the next time. I'm called to help them right then and there. That's why you probably get inundated with texts from me and you hate these group me things that I send. Hey, here's some food that you can drop off at the CAC. Hey, we need some prom dresses for this school over here. Hey, we need some baseballs for this baseball team. Steven, stop it. I'm tired of it. If that's your attitude, I'm going to tell you something. You're not where God wants you to be quite yet. If you delete those and you don't read them and you say, I'll wait till the next time. Because Jesus calls for us to care right now, not to wait till the next time. And he promises us, if we do it unto the least of these, we've done it unto him. And whatever resources we give out, he'll repay sometimes ten times to us in another way, possibly. I can guarantee you that. John as the model for the church. Okay, there's another thing we learned. I knew an elementary school teacher that as she was leaving school many years ago, she noticed that one of her students was swinging on the playground by himself. She asked the fourth grader why he was at school so late. She, she learned that the little boy's mom had left the family and that his father worked all the time and he struggled to care for him and to pick him up on time. The teacher assured the boy that things would be okay and she took him home. The father knew that he could not take care of the boy. And so he and the teacher talked and he asked the teacher, is there any way you could take care of him? I give you temporary custody of him. She said, we would be glad to do that. And to make a long story short, she talked to her husband about it, and they decided to adopt the child. And it worked out, and the earthly father was able the earthly father, the father was able to stay involved in the boy's life as he was raised by this responsible teacher and her husband. And so they cared for him and they treated him like their own son. The role in caring for this young man shaped his life and gave him a radically different future than he would have had. He grew up as a remarkable young man. With the help of his new parents, he went on to attend a major university and spent his summers working with the poor in South Africa. He now runs an inner-city boys' home in Chicago. This teacher, thankfully, had heard the word spoken from the cross, Behold your son. The idea that relationships in the church transcend family relationships becomes even clearer when we consider Jesus' words, whoever does the will 
of God is my brother and sister and mother. It's Mark 3.35. Penny Elwood, she's a pastor at Church of the Resurrection, noted that at the foot of the cross, John assumed responsibility to care for someone that Jesus cared for deeply. John would open his home and devote his life, his time, and his resources to care for Mary. In doing so, both John and Mary would model for us the call of Christ to see those in need as our mother or father or son or daughter. So even if you didn't know that was your daughter that was homeless, that was dressed up to be homeless, you would care for them anyway. It wouldn't matter who they are. You would say, that's a child of God. That's a child of the king. That's a child that's of sacred worth and valuable and deserving of God's grace. And God loves them just as much as me. And I'm going to help them and do whatever I can do. So I love these blessing bags that we've been doing. And the youth just collected more supplies. And we'll be putting those together again real soon. A woman who lost her son. This is the, the fifth point. We're winding up now. I'm changing this lady's name, but many of you will know this lady. Trish had a 31-year-old son who died about 10 years ago in a tragic car accident. One Advent, I was preaching a series of messages about Mary to a youth group. Although Trish did not have any teens, she came down to the youth area to hear my messages. After a message about Mary being at the foot of the cross with Jesus, Trish said to me, I feel a connection with Jesus. I know what she must have experienced in the death of her son, and she must know what I have experienced. She went on to describe for me her feeling after the loss of her son. She said, when you lose a child, you lose part of yourself as a woman. He was inside you. He was your flesh and blood. I feel Mary's pain having lost a son. This is a grown adult sitting at the back of about 100 teenagers soaking this message in. Jesus did not intend for Mary's loss to be the end of her life. Her loss prepared her to care for others and to be a compelling witness to others for the rest of her life. Trish lived that way too. After her son's death, she became even more involved in serving Christ and serving others in Habitat for Humanity. She became the coordinator. She started women's groups, grief support groups, and more mentorships. You see, she turned that grief and that sorrow and despair into life, and she honored her son. It's a matter of perspective, right, Barry? A matter of perspective. There was a show on a couple of seasons ago on ABC called The Resurrection. I love that show. Wish it was still on. We actually knew the pastor's wife in, in the show. She was a good friend of ours. There's a pastor in the show, and he's questioning how he's going to make sense of a miraculous occurrence to his congregation. His wife tells him, you don't need to have all the answers, honey. That's not your job. You just need to comfort those who have questions. As a pastor, these are practical words. Now, I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to fix everything. But I am to give peace and comfort, and joy, an empathetic listening, a non-anxious presence to be with you with whatever you're, whatever you're going through. We can be that for one another, especially during this time. We can check on some of the older people, make sure they've got the groceries that they need. Is there anything we can do for you? Do, can I pick up your medications for you? We can, we can check on those that have families at home and kids. You know, can, we, can we bring you a sack lunch? Can we bring you a meal? 
Can we bring over some entertainment stuff? You know, you want to borrow some cornhole boards? Whatever. We can comfort those who have questions. God calls us to minister to one another, especially during uncertain times like this. In this scene, in these final words, we see the courage of the women who were part of Jesus' life and ministry. We are reminded once more of the profound role that Mary played in God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ. We recall Jesus' witness and call to care for our parents. We see a picture of what it means to be the church, Christian caring for those who are younger and older than we are as those in need for our own children, for our own parents, caring for them just like that. And we see Mary, one who, though highly favored by God, she walked through this dark valley, but as Jesus expected her to do, carried on Christ's mission after he was gone. Jesus' words to behold your son and behold your mother remind us that the mission is ours as well, caring for those who Jesus cares for as if they are our own family. You know, I picture Jesus looking down from that cross. Y'all don't worry, I signed a waiver. looking down from that cross to his beloved mother, his beloved disciple, you know. We practice this, don't worry. Just once, though. You got to go under the cross, 90 degree, lower your head, come down this way, come around the front. And look at Jesus. This is artwork by Preston Shirley. I want you to read the description of this right outside in the lobby area. But... Preston didn't just draw this. He didn't just sketch this. This was a vision that Preston had. This to him was his portrait of Jesus, his demeanor, his countenance. And look at him. He's looking downward. Now, this is a man in his humanity who felt forsaken and lost and condemned and alone. You ever felt that way? Aren't you glad you serve a Savior who knows how you feel? Who goes through it with you? Who cries with you? Who struggles with you? Who grieves with you? Aren't you glad that he looked at his mama and the beloved disciple and he said, you take care of each other? Because remember, and John would remember this, remember, I will always be with you through the end of the age. And where am I? I'm right here. I live within you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is coming. And when he comes, he's going to light you up. You're going to speak in different languages. You're going to do greater things than I was ever able to do because you've got the power. And there is no virus. There is no ailment. There is no sickness that can separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus. I've defeated it. Don't worry. Be happy. That's not Jesus. That's Bobby McFerrin. He's got it. He's got you. And the beauty of this, and I'm skipping ahead, is when he breathed his last and they they took him off that cross, who is holding her child in her arms? Mary. And maybe that's an assumption from Jim Caviezel in the Passion movie and Mel Gibson, but I think it's a great assumption to make that no matter the age, no matter how big our boy, our girl gets, we want to hold him, don't we? 
We want to embrace them. And she did just that. And then she comes to the tomb. She comes to the tomb and she witnesses her boy, her son, Theotokos. Mary, Theotokos, the God-bearer, witnesses her son resurrected and alive. And she has the honor of going back to the disciples and being one of the first to say, He's alive! He's risen! He's not there! Where is He? He's right here this morning. And He's saying to you right now, as I have cared for you, as I've delivered you, as I showed up to you through the pine trees and the beautiful blue sky, and as you showed up representing me to the Amazon guy, I want you to go and care for others like that, like they're your brother, your sister, your mama, your daughter, your son. And it begins today. That's the challenge. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we know millions of people around the world today right now at 11 o'clock and still are praying, Lord, we know that there's a lot of uncertainty. People are freaking out. People are scared. People are panicking. There's a lot of misinformation out there. But one thing holds fast. You are sovereign. You are our God. And you are faithful. In you we have nothing to fear because you uphold us, uphold us with, your, with your righteous right hand. Thanks be to God through the glory of Jesus Christ. Today, Lord, we surrender to you and your sovereignty, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Today, we are no longer our own. We are yours. If you desire that and you want to make that commitment today to surrender your fear, your anxiety, all your emotions, all your feelings of inadequacy, and you want him to be the Lord of your life, all facets of your life, will you just say, I want to follow you, Jesus, 100%. Will you say it? I want to follow you, Jesus, 100%. He's heard you. He's got your back. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.